Please remain standing and turning the Bible, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 19. We continue our study through uh, Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 19. Uh, we will uh, begin in the middle of verse 8, and we will work through the, uh, through the chapter, but in the interest of uh, time, we'll read from the middle of verse 8 down to verse 15. Now Israel had fled every man to his own house. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. And he swayed all the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, Return, both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your holy word, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes, that we would see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, that you would open our ears, that the sheep would hear the voice of our good shepherd, and we ask that you would open our hearts that we might offer them to you promptly and sincerely in spite of of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Reconstruction. Absalom's rebellion did not meet with success as did the American Revolution. His army is now defeated and he is dead. The war is over. Now it is time to put the pieces back together. On this day in 1863, the southern forces surrounded Vicksburg, Mississippi. Thus, the Confederacy lost all control of the Mississippi River. The day before, the Army of Northern Virginia was dealt a crushing defeat at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And that marked the turning point of the war. The Southern Rebellion began to run out of steam and nearly two years later the war finally ended and thus began the period known as Reconstruction. No one on any side, north or south, thought the program of Reconstruction was particularly successful. Putting a nation back together after a war is never pleasant business. And here in this passage, David has his share of headaches and failures. 
The return of David after the war serves as a contrast, a stark contrast to the return of his greater son and the greatest king, Jesus Christ. Now, let's get to it. First in this passage, we see unrest, unrest. Look at the middle of verse 8. Now, Israel had fled every man to his own home, and all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? They see everyone is arguing in all the tribes of Israel. David was a great warrior, great king, but he ran from his son, Absalom. We made Absalom king. Now he's dead. David's king, but but no one is trying to bring him back. It's a time of confusion, uncertainty, anxiety, tempers flaring. There's widespread unrest. So David finally puts some pressure on his own tribe, Judah, to reinstate him. He, He tells Judah, you're my own people, you're my flesh and and blood. You don't want to be the last tribe to bring me back. See, he plays off the tension between the tribes. The tension that we now know will one day result in a divided kingdom. He appeals to that tension to his own people to get them to put him back. They look at verse 14, and he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. So by highlighting the division between the tribes, the unrest... David at least gets his own tribe to bring him back. So we see unrest. Secondly, in this passage, we see political leniency. Political leniency. Look at verse 16. And Shimei, the son of Gera the Benjamite, from Bahurim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Now skip to verse 19. And said to the king, Let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my Lord the king. Now you remember Shimei, the the man who threw rocks and cursed David when David and his men were fleeing from Absalom. Now, Abishai asked David, let me go cut his head off back then. But David wouldn't let him. Well, now here that it's over, Shimei, who had put in with Absalom, he now comes down and begs David for mercy. Abishai still wants to execute him, but but David grants him a pardon. He he swears an oath that 
Shimei will live. And it may seem on the surface magnanimous, but it's mostly political calculation. And notice that Shimei calls himself the first of the tribes of Joseph. His point being that the tribes other than Judah will follow suit and bow to David if he shows him mercy. If David requires justice, the other tribes may go back on alert. So David pardons him. And it it seems like a kind-hearted gesture, but it's actually a matter of political expediency. It's to his advantage in getting his power, his kingdom consolidated to pardon him. It's a political move. So we see unrest. We see political leniency. Thirdly, in this passage, we see injustice. Look at verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Now, now again, let's, let's remember Mephibosheth, the son of David's dearest friend, Jonathan. David had made a covenant with Jonathan to, to show kindness to his family. And David had kept his promise. After Jonathan had died and David was king, he sought out an heir of Jonathan. And he gave Mephibosheth his rightful inheritance from Jonathan's father, King Saul, let him eat at his own table. And you remember that the text had that comment that Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. Then when David fled from Absalom, Mephibosheth's servant, Ziba, He came and told David that Mephibosheth did not come because he was supporting Absalom. And David, you remember, without hearing both sides of the case, made a snap judgment and gave Mephibosheth's land to Ziba. Now it's over. Mephibosheth comes to see David. David asked why it did not come. Look at verse 26. He answered, My Lord, O king, my servant, deceive me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. You see what Mephibosheth says? Zeba, my servant, he deceived me. I'm lame. I have to be carried. He said he was going to saddle a donkey for me. And put me on it. Bring me with him to you. And he took off and left. Let's make sense of why way back 
there's that one comment without explanation. Now, Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. Now, so many years later, we see the significance. Mephibosheth appears to be honest here. You see, his rugged appearance, he, he hadn't shaved, hadn't, hadn't taken care of himself. His nails are long and jagged. This suggests he was in mourning over David's exile. And David here comes to believe Mephibosheth, that Ziba had duped him. So David reverses his prior decision to give Mephibosheth's land to Ziba. But he only partially reverses it. Look at verse 29. And the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. But then Mephibosheth says, I'm so glad you're back. King David, let him keep it all. Now, this ruling is injustice on David's part. He splits it down the middle. It was Mephibosheth's land. If Ziba is lying, Mephibosheth rightly owns all of it, not half of it. And the same would go the other way. If Mephibosheth were lying. I suppose it's better than nothing. But it's half justice. Which is still an injustice. So we see unrest, political leniency, injustice. And thirdly, we see that it's too late. Look at verse 31. Now Barzillai, the Gileadite, had come down from Rogalim, and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come over with me, and I'll provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king, why should the king repay me with such reward? Please let your servant return, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother, but here's your servant, Shemham. Let him go over with my lord the king and do for him whatever seemed good to you. Now, to keep re-encountering these people we've met before, and Barzillai earlier had helped David when he was on the run. He has supplied David and his men with provisions. Now David wants to reward Barzillai for his faithfulness. 
But you see, Barzillai essentially says, I'm too old. I'm dying. I'd be nice to go with you and, and enjoy all you have to offer, but it's time for me to die and be buried with my family. Give it to Shemham. David wants to reward his faithful helper. But it's too late. So we see unrest, political leniency, injustice. We see one for whom it's too late. And fifthly and finally in this passage we see tension. Look at verse 41. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king and in David also we have more than you why did you despise us were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king but the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel now we basically at the end come full circle now you remember David at the beginning he told his own tribe Judah you don't want to be the last to bring me back well now that they brought him back the other tribes are mad at Judah how dare you steal away the king for yourself these are the pains of reconstruction once the king returns after the battle Now let's contrast that with the real return of the real king. Now you think about it. We've seen unrest. We've seen political leniency. We've seen injustice. We've seen it's too late and there's still a lot of tension. When Jesus returns, there will be no unrest there will be complete, final, eternal subjugation of all his enemies. When Jesus returns, there will be no politically expedient pardons. Jesus stands nothing to gain by granting clemency. All who have trusted him and thrown themselves on his mercy per the terms of his word, will receive mercy. All others will go to hell. There will be no half-hearted measures of justice in the last day. Complete justice will be served. Jesus completely satisfied divine justice on the cross, all who are safe in him will be covered. Outside of him will be the full brunt of God's wrath. So there'll be no unrest. There'll be no politically expedient pardons. 
There'll be no half justice, no injustice. And it will not be too late. No matter how long it takes him to get back, no one will be too old to enjoy their reward. Not even the dead. For death shall give up the dead. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There'll be no unrest. There'll be no political expediency, no injustice, no one for whom it is too late. And there will be no more tension between factions, between warring tribes, between parties and party spirit in the church. There will be perfect Christian unity. For we will all be united in the praise of the risen Lamb of God. We look forward to the return of our King at this table. Jesus said, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. We show his death at this table until he comes again. When he comes again, there will be infinite justice. But he died to satisfy that justice for all his people. Why his body was broken, his blood shed. When he comes, it will be the most joyful day for all who love him. The most terrifying day for his enemies. But the greatest day for his people. As often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he comes. Our hope when he comes is that he has died for us. As we prepare to come to this table and look back to his death and forward to his coming, 